Welcome to MSP Mindset with Damian Stevens, where we have real, no BS conversations with real MSPs who have real struggles. We dive into all things business, including marketing, culture, work-life balance, and more, all to help you grow your business, think differently, and get out of your comfort zone. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited to be here. I am Damian Stevens, your host today and founder of uh, Servosity. So a couple of quick things, guys. We have some amazing guests today. So I'm super excited to have a great conversation. This is interactive. So if you're listening after, shoot us a note. We'll be happy to interact with you. Uh, if you're live, drop comments in. We're going to feature those. We're going to get your questions answered. Um, and uh, so please connect. We're, we're happy to have your time and attention, especially in this busy holiday season. So um, I'm going to introduce our folks and welcome them here. We have Evan Eakin, and he is the founder or co-founder of Elevate Services Group, uh, an amazing MSP in the uh, Colorado area. And he is the former VP of Red Robin International. So he has a lot of experience outside of the MSP industry. Um, and so a growing MSP and husband and father of three. We also have another guest. We have a really cool show today with two guests. We have Charles Fred, who is the co-founder of True Space, and they help entrepreneurs grow. And they have a fancier way of saying it, but from my mind, to the middle market, from the uh, past the startup stage. So I can relate to that. I think Evan can. In fact, part of the reason we'll talk about that, we have some common overlap. Charles has a lot of expertise in this area. He has built uh, and founded and led three companies into the middle market, creating over $220 million in enterprise value. And so he's nice enough to give his time to help us in the has done a multi-year research project to try to bring predictable growth. And lastly, he is an elite master's distance runner and even more importantly, cancer survivor. So welcome, guys. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks, Damien, for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. Honored to be part of this. Thanks for making us, uh, getting us involved in this discussion. It's going to be fun today. Absolutely. So part of this is um, just so everybody knows, Evan and I are both uh, in this true space group that Charles runs. So we are both working on scaling our companies and uh, I won't speak for Evan, but I'm making lots of mistakes and being able to get the help from Charles is, is amazing, uh, has been and continues to be. So, um, so, uh, Evan is an MSP building an MSP, making the mistakes. I think that maybe not as many as me, but making mistakes along the way. So ask any questions you have. And then Charles, works with all kinds of companies, MSPs and others. Um, so feel free to ask any questions you guys have. Um, so I wanted to kind of get each of you guys to tell me a little bit more about what you're doing now. Let's, uh, let's start with you, Evan. Sure. Well, so we're five years into the journey. Uh, November actually celebrated year five. And um, I think we're preparing for our sixth year, which is going to be the, the same as year five, same as year four, different than the previous years. <laughs> so it seems like uh, at every stage along the way, even the year going into this, um, not knowing what you're going to get. Uh, so what we're up to right now, um, you know, we've, we've grown, we've shaped. I know we're going to be talking a little bit about how that shape has, uh, you know, kind of taken some of its um, characteristics uh, this year. But we've really honed in on our sweet spot and focusing on 
uh, growing about 20 to 30% now next year in, in what we're trying to do, which is deliver the IT outsourcing is really what we end up calling it. Managed services understand, you know, that's the industry that we all play in. Um, for small to mid-size, uh, 30 to 80 employees is our target. Um, we go above that. We go a little bit below that. We'll get into um, in a little bit here, I guess, one of the, the one of the customers we had to say goodbye to because they were so far outside that space. So really what we're up to right now is really focusing in and honing in on that sweet spot target. Um, about 20 employees, uh, 3 million in, in revenue is where we're operating at today and really looking to grow that a ton over the next year. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate that. Charles, give us a little bit about your, uh, not only true space, but maybe a little bit. I, I would find it helpful to learn a little bit more about the broad, you know, you've, you've had a few exits, it sounds like, and did, did okay on some of them. So tell us the broad story, if you don't mind. Yeah, these 40-year uh, overnight successes, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think for all of your, your, your viewers today, I want them to know how proud I am of the two of you. Uh, building a business is not for the meek. It takes courage and sacrifice and all the things that we've done. Um, so my big mission, of course, is job growth through helping you all create growth, uh, predictable growth in your firm. And, and I've seen this in both both of you. And I just want everybody to know how, how amazing that and important that is. We use a mechanism, a lot of uh, memory mechanisms at TrueSpace. One of them is an imperfect pot, if you're familiar with wabi-sabi in, in the Japanese culture, of which we we take so much uh, joy in uh, the beauty of imperfection. And so building a business is an imperfect uh, idea. Evan, um, Elevate's never been built before. It's unique. Um, Servosity is the same, Damien. So, uh, you know, when we do a true space, uh, I, I, am, I have been wildly lucky, both in timing and other things in business. Uh, I'm not a consultant. I'm much more of a journalist and a researcher relative to the body of work we have. But we've been able to study over 3,000 businesses very similar to, to Servosity and Elevate. And we built a model from that research with Gallup's help. They're a research partner that can predict performance. And what it does is it predicts performance around the capability to grow under the auspice of the fact that starting a business is much different than building one. So Evan and Damien are business builders. They're building and they're going through all of the pain and agony to get to get great value built. But at the end of the day, what TrueSpace does is introduces a new uh, framework for value creation for those of you that want to build a business and reach the middle market. The daunting part we have, Damien, is that, as you know now, only 3% of all businesses formed in the U.S. ever make it to 10 million in revenues. Only 1% make it to 50 million. So uh, on top of that, it takes on average 12 years to reach 10 million in revenue. So we have to plan for longer periods of time. We have to be more predictable in our planning. We have to continually refine our assumptions, and that's really what the, the work of TrueSpace is all about. And you guys have proven to me you're willing to do the work, and you're seeing the results of it. So thanks again for having me today. Absolutely. So what you're saying is there's no silver bullets. It won't be overnight. <laughs> you know, there Why do we invite this guy, Evan? Like, well, I thought we were getting it at the real good stuff today. I'm waiting to hear the silver bullet. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that you're going to, that's, that's not what we're going to get today, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> it is the holiday season and miracles happen. So yeah. uh, I don't know if that's how you want to plan your business, but um, no, right. you're probably not going to do that from me today. Yeah. Probably should not just invest in cryptocurrencies. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the exit. 
another one of those assumptions, right? That we we looked at and now we've been able to learn and validate that maybe not. Yeah. So switching gears to you, Evan, I wanted to hear more about your journey. Um, tell me a little bit about the business. And then you were telling me you had this crazy period where you lost this massive customer. But before you even talk about that, um, and by the way, we see the comments coming in. So I just want to highlight thanks from Morgan for asking <laughs> these great questions. Uh, I guess they're not uh, get rich quick schemes. And so, uh, and I guess according to what you said, Charles, they're 3%. It might be a get rich slow. Yeah. yeah, there's 6 million businesses in the U.S. that have more than five employees. That includes everybody. There's only 160,000 that are over 10 million in revenues. So, and I think the question came up, the, it just, we have to pack our bags for a longer journey. And, mm -hmm. and the data, this is data, not opinion. This is mm -hmm. raw data from 44 years of a really uh, deep research project across companies in the U.S. So if we know that um, and we know it's true, uh, let's plan our businesses for a longer journey. Let's build endurance, we call it, and and do so and build value in the in the meantime. So both of you, if you think about this, where you are in your businesses today, it's taken us probably twice, maybe three times longer to get to where we are, but we we made it. We got there. And we yeah. still have more. So on that note, um, Evan, tell us about uh your MSP, but even just want to tee up one based on what Charles is saying. So I just know some MSPs for quite a while. I thought, well, no, 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 this is a tech business. So, I mean, you don't have to do the same stuff. Like we're unique. We're special. Like you don't have to have a clear idea of your customers or you don't have to put in the hard work to figure out your niche or your vertical or clarity in those things. Right. We've got this technology lever, right? We're special. We're unique. Has that been your experience as an MSP? Just because you're an MSP that, that may, gives you some kind of advantage to defy the business laws? You know, I, <laughs> I, on so many levels, I feel uh, like I'm the last person that should be on this show talking about, you know, anything that even smells of, um, you know, a, a good practice or, or way to get here. I, I think it's, you know, we're a product of those that kind of came before us in this space. And I can say, um, you know, going back, Really, I guess you'd say six years, um, though I was a buyer of services uh, from managed service providers, I'd never gone through this journey. You know, my background is <clears throat> years in large enterprise IT and, um, you know, just kind of uh, arriving at uh, an understanding of what makes great IT great. And so in the process of kind of transitioning from, okay, I've I've done the large enterprise thing. Now, you know, what's next? Uh, meeting and uh, getting close to a friend of mine, another co-founder of Elevate. We just said, well, how can we take that essence of great IT and large enterprise companies and provide it or package it in a way that um, covers everything that needs to be uh, a part of that the, the technical outcomes, uh, I'll say, of that, but has an emphasis in being a strategic partner for the customers that we support. Um, and that's what Elevate is. So in boiling all of my years in enterprise IT and now trying to go to the other side, no longer being a buyer of the services, but being a provider of these services. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just been a journey. And 
you know, initially when we started out, the we, we really started out, I'd almost say, as a project uh, company. We had a couple of early customers and we had spoken to uh, the owners of these businesses prior to us founding Elevate saying, okay, if we're going to launch out, if we're going to start this, are we gonna, can we do it together? Because we had a good idea of some needs that we could help and support that we could be to those couple of companies early on. Uh, but it felt more like a project. Um, started to bring some people into the company, started to move and transition technologies, uh, started to really test the thesis of, you know, what is Elevate? You know, how, how can we thrive as a managed service provider? And so as we really took those couple of early customers through their journey, um, started to add a sales and marketing process. And, <laughs> you know, Charles could probably go on and on about some of the failures that we were making in our sales and marketing process early on. Um, but we started to see some success taking the, the case studies that we were doing with these couple of customers and just being willing to talk about it in the market. Um, a lot of that fell on my shoulders early on. But then uh, two years ago, we brought in really what I'd say are, are a sales professional, you know, someone that could take what it is that Elevate can do to the market and in in a big way, get it out there and really start to grow this business. Because as investors, of which I'm one and, and we've got several others, you know, we're into it for uh, a growth business, the, the 10 million, even though it's daunting, Charles, what you talk about the numbers, that's what we're committed to. And we're kind of linking arm in arm. So in the process of really now doing sales professionally, predictably to grow our business, um, that caused us to refine who our target customer is. And I always love, uh, Charles, you teach us what a target customer is. Um, they love what you do. They prefer your point of view. They don't negotiate it. And they tell others about you. And at a big level, that's what we're all wanting in a great customer. Um, but we had to get a little bit more refined in terms of the target. And so that really resulted in us looking at the portfolio that we had grown to at that point. Um, and this is about this time last year, looking at and saying there's there's customers in there that may not fit that target, that, that the mission that we have, which is delivering um, exceptional experiences but to the target or to that specific company size uh, and, and type. And um, so that is what you were referring to earlier, came to uh, kind of a hard decision. I'll tell you a little bit about the situation. One of these customers, the customer number two that I mentioned. Customer number two. Now, their now, own. Did you always call them customer number two? Is that just the code name since, since all this has gone through? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't always call them customer number two. Call, <laughs> called them our funding source for a long time, quite honestly. I think we can all relate to those kind of customers, yeah. Call, call, them, call them our banker. That's right. Uh, I, I yeah, want to quickly no, just okay. highlight, guys, keep cool. the comments coming. They're great. Morgan saying, I love your humility, Evan. So uh, I'm sure that contributes to your success. So um, so yeah, this is, this is really helpful. I, I 
talk to enough MSPs to know that it is so hard to turn down a customer that has a pulse. Um, and, and especially if they can pay on top. Especially uh, a $60,000 monthly recurring pulse. That's a wow. nice pulse. Yeah, that's huge. Like um, there are so many MSPs that aren't there, but even if you're uh, a $10 million MSP, that's a big number. So tell me, tell us about that. What, how did you lose a customer like that? Well, you know, it's, it's force of, uh, or, or many different, you know, kind of convergent forces coming together. Uh, on one hand, I, I want to give our customer, um, which by the way, we're still amazing friends. Um, and I'm really grateful for what this customer, you know, allowed us to do with them. And I believe they would say the same thing, that they were really grateful for, you know, the five-year journey that we went on. Um, but to their credit, they were uh, really serious about growth to the point where I think um, it's somewhere in the range of 30 to 40 acquisitions that they have made in just the last four years. Um, quite an impressive number. They are a global company now, well over 2,000 employees. And if you, if you look at our target market being uh, you know, small to mid-sized businesses, normally professional services, B2B, in that kind of 30 to 80 employee sweet spot, you know, even if you double or triple of that, they're, they're still larger than that. And, and because I have a background in large enterprise, I mean, I've been in 30 to 50,000 employee organizations. I understand what a, a growing company like that needs. And I feel like that's one of the best things that we were able to do in, in our partnership together um, is know that there was going to come a point in time where they would graduate. That's kind of what we decided to, to call it. Um, but you get to that point where you need the full-time resources. You need to really own and control. You have software at that point that you're developing and integrations and data and uh, especially nowadays, that, that is only more proliferating. Um, and, and it just got to a, a level where we, we were performing our service desk, uh, we, were, we were managing their systems, we were performing you know, backups and security and some of the components. But what, what our whole idea was for Elevate was to be um, not just a, a good engineering firm, to our customers, but we really wanted to be on that strategic side of their business and help them plan um, as far out as those customers would allow us to plan. And when you're the size that our customers getting, you know they were um, they were on the road to hire a full time uh, CTO, bring that individual in, which I'm grateful that they even um, allowed us to be part of that process because we had really sort of seen them through a lot of this growth and had deployed a lot of technology, put a ton of process in place. Um, and so it was always healthy. Um, but when we started to hand off the, the strategic, the planning, the budgeting, um, it, it became evident to us that that's when you start to realize, okay, you're not performing the, uh, the total service offering that we want to for our target customers. And that comes the hard decision because uh, that monthly recurring revenue to a five-year-old business that is against all odds, like Charles, you were just saying, trying to make it uh, to 10 million 
that's tough. And I, I owe a lot to my uh, co-founders and the people that we brought into this business. We just have amazing individuals in this business uh, that I love and they get you through it. Um, hiring Rich uh, to really take us to an L level in, in sales to kind of convince me, uh, hey, our target market is out there. Let's not um, continue to maybe hold on to, to um, what isn't our target or what we, where we feel like we can do an okay job, but it's not a great job for who we want to do it for. And so it was a, it was a long transition um, that you know, you're not just going to instantly flip the switch on something like that. And I find that it that wasn't that 30 days notice. What was that? It wasn't 30 days notice. You turn yeah, it no, off. No, right. no. And that's how we knew we were really creating good partnership because it wasn't uh, something like that, mm-hmm. that they knew that we were part of their family and right. they were a part of ours. And so it took um, quite a, quite a while. And uh, you know, some of what made it really hard is you, you, you make the first decision that says, okay, this, this is going to go away. This is going to sunset at some point. And there's mourning that comes from that and, and yeah. lament. And it, I it say the size of that again. I mean, that just hurts when you say that the size of the client, <laughs> right? That's uh, well, yeah. $60,000 in monthly recurring revenue does hurt. It just, there's yeah. no way around it. Right. So the lament of that initially when you're starting to create the transition plan, but then you're reliving it at every milestone in the transition plan. Right. And as you're shaping your team and as people are coming in, they're asking the question like, you know, who are the, who, who's this customer? Why is it we're doing this over here? So you have to explain. It felt like for a year, I was having to constantly tell the story and it sucks. <laughs> I just don't know what, I, I, I hate, telling the story over and over again, because it continues to kind of reinforce, oh my goodness, was I making the right decision? Did I not make the right, could, right. could should we have done something else? So anyways, it, it um, you get through it with faith, you get through it with really great people uh, surrounding you. Um, Damien, Charles, you're part of the great people that uh, help sort of keep you um, on that path and, and you trust, that, you know, with the, the folks that we brought in the organization, the real hard work that we've done to take our, our marketing language, take our case studies, take everything that we're trying to tell the market, that they're out there. Mm-hmm. And you know, now we're sitting on prospect database of over a thousand companies that we can go after. And that's the good story. That's the bullish side of the business, right? Um, and that, that story, uh, is what I tell myself as well to help kind of get me through uh, the hard times as well. So I'm, I'm rambling on, but it, boy, um, I want to leave the viewers and and those that are kind of in the audience with um, at least one thing is, you know, look, I I think hindsight will will always tell us if something was uh, right or wrong. Um, And we can only make decisions based on the data that we have, uh, you know, or the framework that we're operating under at the time. And, you know, Charles, with your help uh, and everyone at True Space um, and a lot of really great subject matter expertise that we have in the company now, as well as just kind of advisors, um, that helped 
create the foundation or the framework for this decision, you know, for this transition. Um, if I didn't have that, if, if I didn't have those people, if I didn't have that framework, if I didn't have that data, um, I, I would not have made the decision that we did. And again, I'm not going to judge it right or wrong. It's made and we're moving on and we're still continuing to grow and, and we're really excited about that. Um, but I've never second guessed or questioned uh, the advice, the framework, the guidance, the data that led me to that decision. And I'm only more confident in looking back on that um, today than I ever have been. Let me unpack that for a second, Evan. A couple things. Uh, thanks, Brandon, for ask, for commenting. Uh, call the wonderful ones. He's talking about the, cost, the guests and the less than great ones, customers. Um, so interesting choice there like that. Um, and uh, and just, you know, go ahead and remind everyone that we'd love to hear your comments. These guys are here to share. They're very open. So ask anything you'd like in the chat. Um, and I, but Can I, I want to... Real quickly, Damien, just, just touch on that because... Yeah. I, Brandon, uh, my my background is in hospitality. You know, Red Robin uh, is a restaurant company that's a lot of places. So not knowing where exactly your audience is coming from, but I had 15 years in the restaurant space, and we would always um, have debates. What do we call our customers? Do we call them guests? Uh, do we call them customers? Yeah, and I I always kind of uh, came out of that, you know, saying if the if the individual or, or individuals um, pay me for what I'm going to do for them, they are a customer. <laughs> and so I've just decided because our customers could take that dollar and they could go give it to somebody else. Um, they are then a customer. And I always call them a customer. And I love our customers, um, even the ones that we have to graduate. Uh, I still love them. And we want to uh, always be thinking about them as customers because of the control that they have in making decisions. So, yeah, that's that makes a ton of sense. Thanks for that comment, Brandon. Got uh, got a good point there, uh, Evan. So I want to understand this, right? Trying to tie a few of these things together, right? You had this gigantic customer that I imagine was probably a good percentage of your revenue. So, yeah. um, I mean, at the uh, beginning it was, I mean, 60% and then kind of went down and was that's hovering huge. 40, 30%. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anything I mean, above when, when 10% we, scares me. So I could totally get When we yeah. made the transition decision collectively together, um, they were representing about 35% of our revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about that. You made the decision, right? There's one thing of there's a, this gigantic customer you're losing. Most business owners, and that includes MSPs that I talk to, find it really challenging to turn down any customer. So it seems like that, that there was a, there was a intentional focus. How did you arrive at, we should focus well, there, on, on these customers. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I it had not to be right intentional. Fit. It really had to be intentional because um, of all that had come about. You know, I mean, that, a company that size. I mean, you know, the, your audience is going to understand what that, what demand that creates for operating, securing technology, and 
that it it was it sucked up a lot of oxygen uh, yeah. in the room, and so it had to be intentional. I mean, we we couldn't be kind of on the fence for a year, saying, "Well, okay, do do we continue to grow this? Do we continue to shape it? Do we continue to add to it? Um, bring on new employees? Right? You know, how, what do these processes look like?" Um, so if it if it wasn't intentional, we would have been caught in, in a in a vortex or a, almost like a black hole, uh, and it probably would have consumed all the oxygen in the room um, instead of a lot of it. So, so once we made that decision, and we knew that there was going to be a, an extensive project. Uh, because they had to, they had to stand up all of the technology. They had to stand up the process. Um, I mean, when we, so w- just a, here's a really quick story, and probably the audience will resonate a little bit with this. When we found them, um, we opted to put in place what I think the MSP world calls a co-managed. So they had three uh, IT folks, and we kind of surrounded them with our engineers, and that's ultimately the program that we grew. Well, by the time um, well, where they're at right now, I think there are over 30 people in their IT organization. And so th- that was going to be daunting for them just to even hire all of the individuals that they were going to need. Um, Absolutely. So again, with, without it being intentional, you wouldn't have gotten some of the hard work started that, that needed to start. I mean, just imagine hiring 30 people. It, it, I mean, people are hard to come by oh, right absolutely. now. I don't know if anyone else. Would be Everybody that. feels that, in the, especially yeah. in the IT space. Right. And, and you, you can't get, go down, you can't start going down that path unless, unless you have some concrete ground underneath you to start moving down. And so that, that's why I call it, it was a decision. It was a point in time. It was a significant milestone that then precipitated the, um, the rest of the milestones, which was transition. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon's saying completely gets that Evan 16 years in retail and the guest customer debate, but a uh, different market, but really gets, gets what you were saying earlier. I want to switch gears for a second. And ask you, Charles, tell us a little bit, is this supported? You know, we don't have to get into it, but you know, is this supported by your data? And um, why does any business, not only MSPs, why do you need to have why, why do you need to pick a vertical? Why do you need to understand your true space, high value customer? Uh, we're both, uh, you know, Charles coaches both of us for those of you just joining. So, um, so tell us a little bit about like, why do you need to pick that? It's so hard. Why would I turn down others and where, you know, what's the consequence if I don't? Yeah. You know, I, I made some comments earlier. It's uh, it takes courage to do this. <laughs> it's my, he gets my courage award um, for this last year. It's, it's not just sixty thousand a month. It's seven hundred and twenty thousand in in revenues that you'd post on an annualized basis. And going back to stakeholders and partners and employees and others and saying, "Oh, by the way, we have to make up a pretty sizable whole," is one of the toughest, if, you know, if not the toughest things for a CEO to do. But I also stated something to both, you know, to you guys know this, but building a business is a different endeavor than starting one. And to build a business, you have to move away from projects. Most of us start our businesses with a couple customers and they become projects. And what I mean by that is that customer, especially if they're the size of the one that Evan is referring to, 
can determine the way you build your product, the way you build your service, the type of people that you support them with. They become inadvertently almost an extension of your firm and they will also stop it from growing. So for Evan to grow his business, he had to build basically a business that um, wasn't a set of projects, but was a very intentional set of type of customers that he knows how he can support. The data we have, Damien, that supports this states goes back to, to, to an industry that you all support. And that is that it's very difficult to stand out in a market where there's a lot of similar services, a lot of similar proposals, a lot of uh, people, it's crowded. Um, and often you're competing on price and other things. So here's our data. Um, we got a chance with Gallup's help to scrape CRM systems of about 3,000 companies, many of which were service-related businesses, just like your MSP uh, following. Um, and the ones that are growing the best stand out in the market in such a way that for every proposal that they put out there, they win 65% or more of them. And yet nationally for MSPs that fall into that, most of them are winning less than 20% of their proposals. When you're winning less than 20% of your proposals, you don't stand out in the market that you're serving and you're probably winning on price. What you wanna do is find a place that you own, that you're the authority, that everything that you do basically is better because of the, your authority, being an authority and you win a higher percentage of your deals in a tighter, narrower market. We call that the market focus. However, within that market, then in order to keep doing that, you have to have what we refer to as a high value customer. And they're different than a provisional customer and a provisional customer were the early ones that are kind of passing through. You can't build your business off of customers that bought on price. They'll ask for discounts at the beginning. They're hard on your people that won't tell other customers about you. You can't build your business, no matter how much you want that revenue, you can't build your business with that set of customers. You have to build your business on customers that chose you as much as you chose them. And they pay your price, they build your margins, they love your people, they love what you do because you're the best at that. I can speak to that, Evan, because you are my MSP, you support my business. Um, we're a perfect fit. Um, you are my extension of my CIO. Uh, and I feel that when I, when I pay the bill to you each month, I feel like you can help me grow my business. And I don't know if you ever would have heard that from the large customers. They saw you more as basically a manager of, of cost and things that they could throw your direction. So it's vital, Damien, to pick that, that point. To do so is really, really hard. It's, it's, it's basically saying, what I've done to get here is not what's gonna get me to 10 million or the middle markets. And I'm gonna to have to change the fundamental target customer. And I need to do so in such a way that I can stand out in a market. And if I can stand out in that market, I can grow in that market. So that's the data and it's just glaring at us. Uh, I've had a bit of a controversy over the last podcast I was on about the CRM systems, which I'm taking them on a little bit. HubSpot just came out with their annual report for those of you who want to do a little homework um, of their massive database of customers. They're so proud of the fact that the average customer that they have uh, secures from lead to close 18% of their leads. Um, and they're, they're lauding the fact because I think they're five points above Salesforce or something like that. I can't remember the exact article. But just imagine that for a minute. So if that's the case of the of the average, 82% of the sales process, uh, if you're using HubSpot, is waste. 
imagine a manufacturing process. You just keep dumping material in the front. 18% comes out and 80% goes in the dumpster. Uh, we've got to get better at this. We've got to get smarter about it. We be more intentional with it. That's what gets growth going. And, and I think that's what that's ultimately what you can do with your MSP if you really find a way to focus. Um, it's why I'm working with Evan on another kind of a target market area. That's really what, what, what helps. So I know it's hard to see it. Remember, a fish doesn't know it's in water. Sometimes we can't see it as the entrepreneurs. We can't see what's in front of them. But you have to you have to have more high value customers than provisional ones if you want to grow. I love that the fish can't see that it's in water. Terminology that True Space uses is high value customer, not provisional, which is huge. So I want to come back to that, but I also want to highlight what Chris just shared. It's right on topic. Unfortunately, Chris is in the same boat with you. It sounds like Evan just had our largest client graduate because they forex their business in a single year, need an international MSP across four continents, and it's about 700k of revenue. So wow, you guys are you guys are going through the same pain. So. Every Chris, anybody else, feel free to ask uh, specific questions around that. Um, I wanted to kind of connect with the, what Charles said to you, Evan, because uh, if I'm understanding you right, you lost this client, and that has a lot of pain, but you made an intentional decision. So how long did that take you? And then tell us about, like, what market you're in now. Like, if you went from general, and, and it, but let me stop. So you're in what area geographically? Where, where's your market? Colorado. Okay. Mountain region. About how many MSPs are quote unquote competitors? Do you have any competitors? I mean, there's probably nobody else that provides IT Colorado, right? So it's a, uh, it's a red ocean. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I think you told uh, me you thought yeah, it, a well, big number. It, you know, funny story to that when um, me and the, the other kind of co-founders was before the year leading up to launching Elevate, we were just sort of uh, doing our due diligence and none of us come from within the industry, um, but we all sort of bring our different business backgrounds to this. But that was one of the questions that I was fascinated to pursue. And I believe the number was around 200 uh, managed service providers that were, um, call it our competition. Essentially, and, in, your, in your metro area, right? Yeah, yeah, just just in the area. Now, a lot of consolidation has happened in the last uh, two years, especially. Um, but yeah, this is still a very um, crowded space, for sure. So you might have 150, 200, quote unquote, competitors, right? And my point is, I'm not just speaking to you. I'm speaking to so many of the MSPs I get the pleasure to speak with, and this is so hard, right? But we have to differentiate. Um, so. What was that process when you said, I can't be like all 200? How long did it take? And then what is, what is it? What'd you arrive at? Let's hear it. Well, the, the genesis of what we wanted to be different was um, what we first taught reimagining technology. That, that was the um, two words that we were giving to it. Um, we noticed a lot of those 200 were uh, really good businesses, you know, well-run businesses. I mean, we're talking 20, 30% net margins, you know, on, on the surface or, you know, kind of a financial view, you'd look at them and say, that's a good business. I would invest in that business because it's kicking off a lot of cash. But 
how they were doing it would be um, through channel, through reselling, uh, you know, or bar. Um, it was largely just sort of keeping the customers uh, that they had in place. And, you know, the next time a HP, you know, XYZ would come out, oh, you need the new HP XYZ. Okay, that's going to be X dollars. And, you know, boom, there's 20% right in my pocket. And uh, again, not wanting to suggest anything, it, it, that is a good business. It's just not the business that we aspired to be in. Um, we wanted a business that was going to reimagine the technology because what we saw out there was a lot of small and mid-sized businesses that had no partner. They had no one there to help them through that process. What we say now is uh, business leaders don't know what they don't know. Uh, and it's not just going to happen. It doesn't just fall out of the sky. And so we wanted to call it strategic, um, call it planful, proactive. There's a lot of ways that we term it. But we wanted to be on that front end, having really big conversations. We were, we wanted to throw terms like digital transformation around and actually know what digital transformation means, where I think a lot of, of folks may throw that out and really, at the end of the day, oh, you need new HP XYZ. No, that's not digital transformation. So we aspired to, to that being um, the focus or the emphasis, and then everything sort of feeds off of it. Um, so of course, you're going to have to put those new systems, cloud systems in place. Of course, you're going to have to protect those systems and create good process around that. Um, so that that's ultimately um, what I still feel makes us different. Um, I remember, it, it'd be funny if he was uh, in the audience right now, if, if you are, uh, maybe make a wink or something. He'll know when I say this. But I went to my first um, peer meeting within this industry. Again, I'm an industry outsider. And this was about four, three or four years ago. And uh, was introducing myself and, and said, you know, we really want to be uh, the largest um, public cloud managed service provider in Denver. Because no one that we knew was really leveraging the public cloud at that point um, to help companies reimagine technology. And I remember the looks that I got in the room because everyone in the room, uh, their whole profit depended on them selling the HP XYZ. And, um, and I, I, it would have looked like I had arms growing out of my head, 10 eyes. I mean, the, the way they looked at me like, that's not gonna work. And I remember on the flight home thinking, okay, I think we're on to something then. <laughs> because if, if they're in the room and they've been in it 20 years, and again, these, these are really good, strong businesses. But if they've been in their room 20 years and what I'm saying sounds foreign to them, well, then I know we've got something. If my competition, in other words, is telling me that what we're about to do is unique, then there you go. Then I'm differentiated. Right. Well, speaking of things that may do be a little bit different, uh, I want just to take a second to talk to you about this show is brought to you by Servocity Safe Managed Backups. So with Servocity Safe, you can cut your support tickets in half and let us manage your backups. So Servocity Safe includes daily testing of every volume, every single volume, every single day. So if you want the best tested backups there are, and have them stored in tamper-proof immutable storage. 
then choose Serocity Safe. Lastly, or most importantly, what really makes us different is we fully manage them. We set them up, we monitor them proactively, leaving you and your techs the ability to focus on what you do differently and to grow and scale your business. So if you're tired of doing the same things that everyone else does, wasting your time, babysitting failed backups, and worrying at night about your ability to store with 100% certainty, visit Serocity.com slash call and you can book a call directly with me, Damien, the founder of Serocity, to see if we're a good fit. So just speaking of kind of focusing there. So I want to take it back to our guests though. So Adam, we had some, uh, or Evan, we had some questions I wanted to uh, ask. One of them was, I know this is kind of going back, but like I, you talked about the pain. I mean, a 60K MRR client, right? I just feel like I need to knock on wood or something. You're saying those words. Like, what did your business look like, right? That, that had to involve tough decisions, not just strategic ones, but I'm guessing that had to involve headcount cut and all kinds of things. And then you mix in a time where people are struggling to find anybody in IT. So part of me says, don't ever let anybody go. You can't even find them. And part of me is going, you know, finance is going to tell you a different question. So how do you navigate that? Well, I think it's best to say, what did the business look like right as before making this decision? We, we really were fractured business. We looked like a couple of businesses within a business. And that, Charles, is what you're talking about in, in kind of the project is, is not everyone could relate to our customer. You know, you're, you're having all hands meetings. You're talking about your customer. You're talking about your revenue. You're talking about your growth engine. And half the room couldn't relate to it. They, did, they didn't work on that. They didn't touch it. They didn't understand the business of what we were doing with that. And, and so you had this um, really just fractured conversation, this fractured culture uh, almost. And so it, it was one of the forces, you know, I mentioned kind of a nexus of forces that all sort of led to this, um, that was always in the back of my head, because in my accountability chart, uh, building a thriving, healthy culture, that's my job. I mean, that's, that's why I exist in this company. Uh, and I love doing that. I really love the people. So having to sort of work across bridges and, and highways and figure all that stuff out. It was just, wasn't fun for everyone. And so what does it look like now? Well, we're, we're one business. Fancy that. <laughs> we, it's not just one um, structurally, but we are, we're one business culturally. Everyone is understanding our customers. Everyone has a, a voice. Um, it's one of our core values is respecting that voice. Um, and, and you're expected to understand and be engaged and involved and supporting and servicing and delivering that exceptional experience to all of our customers. Now I can say that. Um, and if someone is on an island from that, if someone in, in my business uh, can't relate, well, then it's not a customer problem. That, that's, a, that's an elevate problem that we need to work on. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's only one character trait, but it's an important one. And I'm sure, you know, the, the gentleman, Chris, who is going through this at the same time, probably could, can resonate to what it looks like now is something that is much healthier. Um, organizational health is what I'm talking about, much more engaging than it is, than, than it was. 
Yeah. I'm glad you brought up culture, right? Because it's easy to see we're adding two people or if we, you know, are in a spot, which you may have been to have to cut people and say two have to go. It's easy to think about a number. It's hard to think about the people and how it affects people and the culture. So um, I think culture is super important. If you, in, you know, in my opinion, I think you share Evan is right. If, if you have the right people and you have them aligned, you can do amazing things. If you just don't have the right people, then good luck. You, you really can't pull that off. And in this time of hiring, that can be a real challenge. Uh, Chris, who, who's going through the same thing, I want to highlight his comment here. Um, wants to know if you'll discuss more about the sales and pro sales process. Um, what does it look like for Legion? How'd you fill 60K MR gap? I think he's going through it. Like what, what would you, you know, what, what do you want to tell Chris that's going through this right now? Well, Charles, I'm going to just flat out uh, steal your line. Do we have enough leads for the business that we're trying to become? That's, that's really where it starts. And for us, we had to get serious that we didn't have enough leads. We had a, a concept. We had done some, some good, diligent work to understand kind of where the market was, how we could talk to it. But we hadn't done the hard work of actually getting the leads. And so we focused um, quite diligently, I want to say uh, about 2019, 2020, in specifically growing the leads. And now we can say we, we have uh, the leads that our business can now grow to, and we need to be closing them at a far greater rate. I mean, Charles, you were touching on it earlier. Um, you know, our close rate's about 20%. Um, it, it's come down a little bit, and we want to get that back up. I, I have a goal for that to be in the 30 to 50% range. I'd love for it to be 65%, and that's, I, I see no reason why it can't be 65%. But it all starts with making sure that um, we do the hard work. We, we went through, Chris, one of the things I'll tell you is um, Donald Miller uh, wrote a book called Story Brand. That was the framework that we used to really hone in on the message, the market, uh, how we were going to then take that and go find the leads. And that was a really critical step. And it took a few months for us um, as partners to get aligned to that. Because when you're, when you're using a framework like that to kind of hone in your message and hone in your target market, that means others are sort of on the outside of that. You're, ha you're having to draw hard lines. And Damien, you were saying it earlier, it's hard for owners of these businesses, man, service to draw hard lines. And so that process really helped us draw hard lines. And once we did that, now um, we, we did some, we had to clean up some of our leads and we're using HubSpot. Um, but now I can say, you know, confident that we're sitting on a thousand, more than a thousand, uh, you know, customer, and these are company uh, just we'll call them pre-customers. <laughs> so, but it starts at the leads. It starts at drawing those hard lines, understanding kind of what that market looks like and being diligent to bring the right leads in. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so no perfect e shortcuts, no easy answer, but if I understand what you're saying, right, the, there's combination of, I'm just going to say this, I talked to enough MSPs that there's the smaller ones and the larger ones. And a lot of the time of the difference is they don't have anybody that owns lead generation. You know, the owner does it part-time. 
or whatever, you know, one of the partners does at quarter time. So it sounds like you have Charles, to decide may, to make a difference. Charles, you may have a, t- a thing or two to, to say about that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Damien, you brought it up. Um, I want to touch a little bit on Chris's question too, because I can help at least. I, I was with Evan um, when he was, when he was making these changes. And one of the things that, that is hard to see again in, in, when you're in your business is that the provisional customer, the one that's not helping you build your business, but might be providing revenue is usually the one that takes your, a lot of your time collectively across the company. Uh, our data suggests this, a provisional customer will send you uh, three additional emails, uh, voicemails or inquiries relative to one from a high value customer. So when you make the shift, when you have the void, you have extra capability and capacity in your firm to redirect it. And the other thing about the provisional customer or the low value customer is they usually take your best talent. Well, you now have your best talent back in the game again. And what we want to do now is redirect that toward a set of customers that we can take great care of, that we intentionally want as customers. They want us as, as suppliers, providers. So that, that's kind of where, 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 that, where that goes. So you get a chance to retool. You get a chance to take time, capital, and talent, which are the three finite resources, and redirect them. It takes a little time. There's a latency to it. Uh, and Evan's done a wonderful job of, of basically not only filling that void, but actually growing a much stronger business as a result of it. Uh, structurally, uh, our data is also immutable. So you can't, we, we took Gallup's information, natural language processor grabbing, again, over 3,000 data sets uh, from companies. There is only one structural way to get to the middle markets, and that is to have what we call a capture keep, compete, and control structure. There's four people that have to be in your firm. And each day they wake up with a singular purpose. And in your businesses, you have to have somebody who wakes up and their number one job is to capture a new high value customer and do it at a predictable rate. You have to have somebody that keeps that customer for a predictable rate. And you probably have those people already. That's the bulk of your staff. Uh, the compete side is somebody who's actually working on your core product, your core differentiator of which Elevate Way has one. And then the control side is all the control mechanisms, which are HR, finance, and others. If you have those four pieces, all the data suggests that you'll start to actually see true growth in your business. But to Damien, to your point, most of our data for small service organizations that are trying to, to grow, that's where they've left it to chance. And Often it's the founder that is out doing the selling. Um, it's they're out making the calls, they're making the pitches, they're doing all those things. And what they become is the limit to growth. So there's going to have to be a point in time when you make that change. Evan made that change. He brought in somebody a year and a half, a year and a half ago now, Evan, I think. Almost two, two years. Yeah, time flies. Fundamentally changed the structure of the company, but the, the, the direction and the tip of the spear of the, of the firm is different. And now you're seeing, of course, the result of that. So you have to make that decision at some point in time in your growth hmm. if you're going to make it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well said. Um, so well, I guess we have maybe time for one more. Chris had a nice comment about this. I uh, wanted to feature first that it makes sense. Um, spend time to better define what you should do. I'm trying to take notes from this. It sounds like if we focus on who we need to be doing business with, that allow us to free up resources. So that it sucks, we're going to lose revenue, we got to spend time, it takes time, but that'll free up some resources because we're all struggling. 
and then we'll be able to, to not only generate more leads of crappy quality, but if we focus, we can generate more leads, the right fit. So um, probably the last question we'll take, and I wanted to close with a couple of your guys' thoughts, but um, Chris is saying, I'm the only one in the company doing sales and lead gen. It's part-time. Um, it's been taken away managing the business. Tried to outsource it, hiring a firm, do cold calls. 40 grand, got seven leads, only three were qualified. Boy, I know those stories. That feels a little too close to home. Um, my step is to look to hire someone. Let me feature that again, just to um, uh, do lead gen in-house, which by the way, I have some very, com that's a hard thing to do. I've never managed a sales rep. Welcome to most tech people's world. Like raise your hand if that's you. That's yeah. Yeah. Everybody raise their hand. All right. So um, closing thoughts on that. Great question that Chris has. The thing I love about uh, True Space and, and Charles said it is it, it's the data doesn't lie. Um, what speaks to me is because I'm, I'm analytical by nature is you just got to face the facts. And the facts are exactly what, Charles, you were just talking about. I think it's just well said um, that if we don't have an individual, and, and how do you put it, waking up every day with that singular purpose in mind, um, the, the only way we're going to get there is luck. And um, I just, I don't want to count on luck just getting there. Uh, I'd rather listen to the data. I'd rather pay attention to the facts. and base my decisions off that. Yeah. Charles, any, any comments on that one? Yeah. Uh, Evan's absolutely right. And, and you know, I think the, the core of all of this is to go back to, you know, why, why did you build your firm in the first place? Why do you exist? And, 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 and really drive it from there. And if you want to build a business versus start one, you can have to make these, these changes. However, they're not for, they're not for people that, 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 that aren't, ready to, to, you know, go through the courage that, that's required for that. So my hope is that many people that we're listening today are ready to make those changes if they happen. And, you know, what Evan went through his, his story is it's terrific because if you haven't gone through it yet, you will, um, if you're going to build a business. And that's the one thing that I can also, I can tell all of you with data, these changes come if you want to build a business versus start one. Yes. That's unfortunately been my experience, which is entirely too true. So um, guys, if you got anything out of this, leave in the comments, hit the like button. Evan, Charles, thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has been amazing. I, I'm so glad that Chris had the vulnerability and courage to act, ask his question and share his real experiences. Thank you guys for having the courage to do that yourselves. So thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing with everyone. Thanks for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Evan. So guys, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, I thank you for joining me and watching. Um, a couple things before you go. If you want a copy of the show notes and any resources that were mentioned, email show at damianstevens.live. We are pulling together all the resources, all the good stuff in case you missed anything. We're not sure where to go for the book, for the resources, for any information, email show at damianstevens.live. And we will get you on the list, give you the information and tell you about new ones. If you also want to get notified on LinkedIn, hit the follow button or on the social you're on. If you're interested in Servosity helping you focus so you can grow your business more, go to Servosity.com slash call to have a call with me, the founder of Servosity. You guys have an amazing weekend, amazing end of your week, and make sure to hit follow. We have another amazing show planned next week. Lastly, it is show at DamianStevens.live. 
Thank you, guys.